0: To be or not to be? We've been talking over the last several weeks about finding our joy in God and making sure that we are most satisfied in Him and when we are, He is most glorified in us. And uh, we want to be a people who are characterized by having joy in God. Um, Rich. We all know what it means when someone says, so-and-so is really rich. More than that, probably most of us in this room at least one time or another wish we had more. Um, cut to the chase here's the conclusion of it all how you view money and what you do with it can make or break you and according to the bible how you view money can very well determine whether or not you are happy I don't know about you but I think we've all struggled with that thought one time or another uh, I can remember and uh, we were joking about this not too long ago I, said, I can remember looking back and saying Lord please make me rich I mean, you know, I would what I would do with it. I mean, I would help so and so and so and so, and help this organization and that organization. And oh yeah, I'd have to buy a new truck in there. But you know, um, we've all wanted more one time or another. And sometimes uh, then you have the ultra pious, ultra spiritual, ultra religious guy who says, "Well, God only gives you what He knows you can handle." Why well, do think I can handle a whole lot more? Um, maybe that's true though. Maybe God only does give us what we can handle. But the bottom line is how we view money does have the ability to determine whether or not we are happy, whether or not we have joy in God. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn to 1st Timothy chapter 6. 1st Timothy chapter 6 as we continue in this series of finding our joy in God. We've looked at a lot of different areas, and this morning we'll concentrate on the issue of finances. First Timothy chapter six, and we'll read verse nine to begin with. It says, "But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction." For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It's amazing here that I think there are three things that, that happen and we're not going to spend time on the three things. But I want us to get an idea of what God's Word is really saying here. According to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, But those who want to be rich... And that's a hard thing to deal with in our culture. We live in America. Every person under the sun who doesn't live in America, as far as the third world countries, it's their goal, it's their dream, it's their wish beyond wish, that they could come to America because of what can be had here. But it says, Those who want to be rich fall into temptation. What's he saying here? There is an allure that causes our minds not to be right as far as our desires and our wants and so forth. And he says, really, uh, three things that happen. It's the want that brings temptation, it brings traps, and it brings toxic desires, Temptations—we all know what those are. Things that we want, and and it's so easy in our culture and in the world that we live in. I mean, watch any TV show, and in the middle of that show, you have these things called commercials. Those things that we hate, but you know, they're trying to convince you that you have to have this product because if you get this product, your life will be so much better. And this toothpaste is better than tooth, but this toothpaste and this product is better than that product. And if you just get it. And the temptation begins to say, you know what, he's right. I kind of will not mind that. I mean, uh, I'm just waiting for this to happen. I don't, I don't know too many people where this has happened, where it's Christmas morning and the husband says, honey, have you looked out in the driveway yet? And there's Alexis with a bow on it. Does anybody know that's actually happened? I'd like to see that happen just once and say, well, that, I guess maybe that does happen in dream world. Um, but you know, they, they try to convince you that you should have this. And if you just have it, life will be better. So there's a temptation that comes with wanting to be rich. And we can fool ourselves that if we had it, we would do this with it. And if we had it, we would do that with it. But the temptation will be there. And then it says not only that, according to 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says a trap. To many people who want the finances, who want the money, it says there's a trap waiting. And the trap is this, that it's going to cost something that you didn't expect. We know what a trap is? A trap is there to deceive. Now think about this. Those people who are hunters or trappers, they put snares, they walk through it, and they hide the traps where the animals will not see it, where they don't know that they're walking into it. That's what trapping is all about. It's putting the snare where the rabbit will not see it. It's putting the trap where the bear may not recognize that he's stepping onto it. Traps are deceitful. In fact, they don't know that it hurts until it's too late. They don't know that it's dangerous until it's too late. And then not only that, it says here uh, at the end of verse 9, harmful desires or toxic desires. Things that we think we want, but we think they're going to bring us joy. We think they're going to make us happy. But in the end, they don't. Um, I kind of am curious once in a while. I watch the, the show How the Lottery Changed My Life. Has anybody ever seen that show? I've watched an episode or two of that. But I'm amazed at how many times the money that they thought would bring them all the joy and the happiness really brought more struggle and more trouble. All of a sudden you have friends you never knew you had. Your relatives that were so distant, all of a sudden your best friends. And all the things that you thought you couldn't live without, you've got, but now what? And that mansion that you built or, or bought, now you got to pay taxes on it, but all the money's gone. Now What? It's amazing how our dreams and our desires and the wealth that we think will bring us so much joy becomes a harmful desire, according to First Timothy chapter six. See, if we look at verse nine, and then compare that to verses 17 through 19, we see a, co- a contrast between two attitudes that could be had. So in First Timothy chapter six, verse nine it says, "But those who want to be rich." And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 17 through 19, it says this, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come. So that they may take hold of life that is real. You see, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9, you have those who want to be rich. And in 1 Timothy 6.17, you have those who are rich. And so, here's the idea here. The wealth in, in verses 17 through 19 is in good works. That's where the true wealth is. And this wealth brings a reserve of wealth in the age to come. In other words, it's not about this life. It's not about all the things that can be had in this life. It's not about acquiring material possessions. So the idea here is we have to decide whether we want the riches or whether the riches that we should want are the good works that we should plan on making a part of our life. So this wealth allows for life that is as he says it in verse 19, real. This is the greatest attitude to possess. But in the middle of it, we find something interesting in verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money itself is. There are a lot of people who have wealth in this world that have done very wonderful things with it. Uh, I, I look back and um, we had a family in our church in Pennsylvania. And uh, they were one of the most giving people I've ever met in my life. They would give constantly to the needs of the ministry and for the visionary things. And God had blessed them. It's almost like the more they give, the more God gave back. And uh, I, I think of uh, uh, in our church in Elkhart, Indiana, there was a gentleman there who was a born-again believer who owned a steel erection company. And it was amazing. He made a, a commitment to our church when we went to build an addition. He said, listen, I will give, <coughs> I think it was around $100,000 dollars he said, "I'll match it. For every every dollar that comes in up to 100 100,000, I'll match it." And uh here's the amazing thing. He says, "But I've got so many stocks." He goes, "I don't even know what's going on with all these things." He said, "I'll tell you what. When you when 50,000 or 10,000 is given, I'll match it with $10,000 with the stocks. But here's what happened. Every time someone would give a chunk of money, he would go sell the stock and the stock would be maybe one and a half or two times more than what he thought it was." So someone would give 10,000, he'd then give them like 15 or 20,000. Someone would give 7,000, he'd give 15 to 17,000. Back and forth, and everyone is all said and done, he goes, ah, I don't care, it's just money. It's just amazing how God does bless certain people that way because they know what they're gonna do with it. So it's not having the money that is wrong. It's the love of money. Look at verse 10 here. It says, For the love of money is a root, is a root, a source of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, there's the word again. Craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And here's the idea: I want them. I, it's almost like in the scriptures you see an example of Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having what? Love the present world. These things are more important to me than my walk in relationship with God. And that's where the danger is. Uh, I, I know several people who I went to college with who God quote unquote called them to be pastors, called them to be missionaries, called them to be uh, involved in full-time ministry. But when there was the finance, difficulty with finances, what did they do? Quit. Because I'd rather have this than to struggle over here with that. The bottom line is when we crave those things, God's Word says we open up a door that we don't want to go into. We open up a direction for our lives that is dangerous. And it says, many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And just a thought here. You can't be too happy with many pains. I don't know anybody who has pain and enjoys it. Maybe that's a new concept, but I haven't met it yet. And that's what it says here in verse 10. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. Notice it wasn't somebody else piercing them. It wasn't saying, wow, I think I'll get you with this knife, this pitchfork. No, they did it to themselves by improper desires and have caused pain. So, notice what is the wrong attitude towards wealth and materialism. We see this back in verse 2. So let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. Chapter 6, verse 2. And in the middle of the verse, it starts saying this. It says, "...teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with a teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but has a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. And from these come envying, quarreling, slander, evil suspicion, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Hmm. But then he goes on and says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. If the teaching is different than the Lord's teaching, there's a problem here. That's so he says here right off the bat, verse 2. If the teaching does not promote godliness, there's a problem. If it is false... And the one who teaches this is conceited, understanding nothing from this person, it says, comes all these things. So the question is, are we finding our contentment and our, with godliness? So what it says here? Here's, here's an interesting phrase here in the bottom of verse 5. It says, "...in constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved, deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain." I think we live in a day and age where that's the case. We see that a lot of people make money off religion, so to speak. Um, just about a year ago, I heard one of the uh, contemporary artists, he said, well really, my heart is in secular rock music, but I go this way because there's money in it. Hmm. Using religion or religious material things to find wealth. It happens all the time. There's quite a industry in religious things making money. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the little fishies, but how many cars do you see stickers with the little, cute little fishy on the back of it? Somebody made it, somebody sold it, somebody's buying it. There's money there. Or the necklaces, or the t-shirts, or the bracelets. Uh, Christian bookstores, they're all over the place. And uh, a lot of times Christian bookstores aren't even owned by Christian individuals and Christian companies. But it's a way to make money. Use religion or religious articles to make gain. And he says something about that. From these people come these kinds of things who have a desire, they crave wealth. But it's a wrong attitude. So from these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth who imagine that godliness is a way to to material gain. But then what he says here is this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the right attitude towards wealth and materialism. I wonder if we could or should say it this way. There is greater gain than material gain. And that's godliness with contentment. There is greater gain than material gain. Found in godliness with contentment. Let's look back at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. It says, For the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is what? Beneficial in every way, since it, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That's interesting. He says, but also godliness is profitable for what? The life to come. Which is exactly what he says at the end of verse Uh, 19 of chapter 6 at the bottom of verse 19 says storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come in other words what we do in this life impacts the life to come as believers right so what are we saying here it's not about everything that we can get in this life it's really about what we are doing for the life to come it's not about seeing how much we can get here It's really about finding joy in our wealth being that of good works and really a life that is pleasing to God. So there's greater gain than material gain and that's in godliness with contentment. Um, let's look at a couple passages here. Matthew chapter six is the first one I want to look at just for a moment. Matthew chapter six. And look at verse 19. It says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's the key to the passage right there. Where our heart is, there will our treasure be. Um, and let me just kind of use an illustration and don't get me wrong. Please don't misconstrue what I'm going to say. Why is it that some people can put $60,000 into a car or $60,000 into a hobby truck that's about seven foot off the ground, has eight foot wheels on it, and it's just a money pit that keeps going and going? Why can some people do that? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Awesome. Can we flip that around? Where your heart is, there will your pocketbook follow. That's what it is. See, we, we put money and we invest in the things that we really enjoy. Things that we appreciate. Things that we really you know, like. So when it comes to our hobbies, when it comes to the things that we like, the things that we enjoy, oftentimes our pocketbook follows those things. And it's amazing how, um, how many times where I've had, and don't take me, take this wrong, I've had people knock on my door when I was pastoring in Tippecanoe in northern Indiana, say, Pastor, I can't afford this, this, and this. Can you, can the church help me with this, this, and this? And I look at them and I say, wow, you have this, this, and this. And I'm trying not to judge, but why can you have money for this, but not money for this? Easy. Because this is where my heart is. It's easy to put money where my heart is. And because my heart's not over here, I didn't really put money towards that. We have to be careful. Because where our heart is, that's where our pocketbooks tend to follow. That's the way he's saying this. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But it says, do not collect for yourselves treasures on the earth. In other words, don't find your wealth. Don't find your richness, so to speak in the things of this world. And God's Word makes that very clear. It says, moth and rust destroy. Does anybody have a car that doesn't rust? I'd love to be a part of that. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, I bought that little Chevy pickup. It looked pretty clean. I was like, yes! I found an older vehicle that is really clean. And just as winter started this year, it started flaking everywhere on the whole bottom side. That goes against my monkism. <laughs> Big time. It's got flaws I can't fix. And flaws I'm not gonna put money into. <laughs> but you know, think about it. Everything goes towards degeneration. Nothing lasts forever. Your house won't last. Your cars won't last. Wouldn't it be incredible if you could like design a tire that will go like 200,000 miles? Yeah, B.F. Goodrich wouldn't like that, but you know, I I think it would be really cool. See, everything gets worse in time. So what he's saying here, you can invest in things that won't last, or you can invest in things that are eternal. And you know there's only two things that I've found so far that are eternal? The souls of men and the Word of God. Those are the two things that will last eternity. The souls of men and the Word of God. So... Relatively speaking, where should we be investing? The things that are not gonna last? Everything on this earth. And it says further in first John two, for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all the things that are encompassed in the world that we live in, says not as that is not of the Father, but is of the world. And verse nineteen says that all we know that all the things in this world are going to pass away. It's not gonna last. So we need to be careful. So not only do we not collect for ourselves treasures on this earth, but he says, collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where the things of this earth cannot destroy. And really, our where we put our heart will determine what our treasures are. But he goes on, Luke chapter 12. Turn over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 32. says, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, and an inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just another reminder. He says, where is our focus? Where is our heart? So let me give you three reasons we should not pursue wealth in this life. And the first one is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we were there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we find this in verse 7. Three reasons we should not pursue wealth in this life. 1 Timothy 6, verse 7 says this, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. You know, it's amazing how many things that we can't acquire. It's pretty simple, really. Uh, We work hard, we get an income, and with that income, we buy stuff. But the reality of it is this. When we die, none of it goes with us. Um, Johnny Hunt was preaching a message, and somebody asked him this question. Do you realize how much he left? Speaking of a multi-billionaire who died, he said, do you realize how much he left? The person asking the question was talking about the amount of money he left. Johnny Hunt responded, he left it all. Because you can take nothing with you. When we die, the old proverbial statement, you don't see hearses hauling trailers. Nobody will take anything with them when they die. And Psalm 49, and we're going to jump around just a little bit. Psalm 49 gives us another principle to, to understand. 49, verse 16 and 17 says, Do not be afraid when a man gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases. For when he dies, he will take... What? Nothing. Nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. The bottom line is, first reason we should not pursue wealth in this life is that we'll take nothing with us. I think there's other places that we can invest that are eternal and focused. Number two, we are exhorted to be content with what we have. In fact, in First Timothy chapter 6, in verse 8, it says, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. We're to be content with food and clothing. I don't know what you but that is stinking hard. I want stuff. I want a lot of stuff. I want a nice truck. But as I said the other day, I will take a rusted out piece of junk over a nice Cadillac, just because it's a truck. Um, we want stuff. And this world has programmed us to want more stuff. But it says, with food and clothing, I wonder, if that's all I could have, if that's all I had, and if that's all you had, would you be satisfied? Would you be satisfied if you didn't have a nicer house? Would you be satisfied if you didn't have a nice car and you had to ride a bus everywhere that would drive me insane, but you know that 's because of how we 're programmed in the world that we live we're We're programmed to just work a job, develop an income, find some security, and then you get a, a dependable vehicle and a decent house to live in that will have room enough for your family and you, and the list goes on and you, you start building towards retirement. No, God's word says let all things be done decently in order. We we become good stewards. But I wonder if all we had is just the bare bones necessities. Would it be enough for us to be satisfied? I was reading. Um, my daughter is doing a report on Germany, for one of her projects at school, and uh, we were trying to find out what Germany would have been like back several years. And uh, But one of the interesting things that came out in this study, as I was helping her find some facts and so forth, is that there are ser- s- several places or in other countries where it is still in a dream, it's still a dream to acquire, but it's not as so much a reality. In other words, the average person who buys a house in Germany buys it in the mid-50s for the first time. First-time homeowner is in the mid-50s. Isn't that amazing? Not in America. First time, if only was twenty-five or less. It's because we're programmed to get, 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 get. They are too. It just takes longer to get it. But I wonder if we just took away everything. If we never bought a house in our lifetime. If we never bought that new car off the lot. If we never got to where we could go on this trip. Or do that activity. Could we still be satisfied with what little bit we have? It goes against our thinking. It goes against what's programmed within us. Let's look at several verses. Ecclesiastes chapter five. Verses 10 through 12. Verse 10 says this: "The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futile. When good things increase, the one who consumes them multiply. What, then, is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his eyes? The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Isn't that amazing? God's Word says if this is your focus, you'll never have rest. And how many times have we heard stories of people who are workaholics, and their kids never see them. They're never home because they're too busy getting and preparing and building We need to be careful that these things don't consume us. Proverbs 23 and verse 4 says this Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Stop giving your attention to it. That's God's word. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9 really gives us the correct approach to wealth. And I think this is probably the best approach that any of us could have as believers. Two things I ask of you. Don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. But here's what he says. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that I need. Let's stop right there just for a minute. He says, don't make me rich, but don't make me poor. He says, God, give me what I need. See, there's a huge, drastic difference in most of our lives between what we want versus what we need. I'm guilty. I don't know about you, but every time we sit down at a meal, there's an amount that you want and there's an amount that you need. We're guilty. But it seems like that mentality goes into many aspects of our life. He says, listen, here's what we want. Look at the next verse here. He says, otherwise I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. So he says, here's a reason. He says, don't make me so I have so much that I feel like it's all me doing it. I don't want so much that I forget that it's God who has given me the ability to have the things that I've got. But don't give me so little that I say, wow, who's God? And I go steal and I don't depend on God for what I need. What's the point here? God says, just depend on me for what you need for this day. That so goes against our culture. We've been talking about this in dealing with prayer. As we looked at that a couple weeks ago, and in Phil Bianci's book on prayer, he says, it's hard to say, God, give me our daily bread when our pantries are stuffed with months' worth of supply of food. We don't know what it means to be dependent today. How many of us have had to live a life like George Mueller who are praying as kids are sitting around the table that God would provide food and as they're praying a knock on the door and a delivery truck being broke down on the streets in front of the orphanage. We don't know what that means in our culture. Maybe many of us have gone through a a chapter where things were difficult Maybe we went through a chapter where we lost a job. Or when our, maybe an our illness prohibited us from working as we would have liked. But to, as a way of life, we don't know what that means. Depending on God for today. And yet he says, don't make me rich, but don't make me poor. Give me what I need for today. Philippians chapter 4, if you would turn there. Philippians chapter 4, two verses I want to highlight just for a moment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says, I don't say this out of need, but Paul says, For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And you know what? It is something we learn because it's not natural. Our natural tendency is to want more or to want nicer or to want better. But he says, I have learned to be content. And that's something we have strive for. And not only that verse 19 says, "And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus." And so learning to be content is linked with learning that God is sufficient. That we can know that God is going to provide for our needs. And then one more, Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six it says, "Your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore we may boldly say, "The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid what can man do to me." Bottom line is, he says, God will be your needs. God will supply your needs. God will be faithful. And you put that all together. He says, first of all, we can't take our wealth with us. Number two, we are exhorted to be content. And then number three reason we should not pursue wealth in this life. We open ourselves up to temptations, traps, and toxic desires, according to 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10. But I want to look at two verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 21. There's the first one. Proverbs 20, 21 says, An inheritance gained prematurely will not be blessed ultimately. Um, Think about this. We have an example of this in the book of Luke, the prodigal son. He wanted his inheritance now. Give me the portion that is coming to me. And what did he do with it? He wasted it. He squandered it away. God did not bless that shows us that God still loves. And through the example of His Father, He took Him back in and He prepared the fatted calf and He put a ring on His finger and a robe on His body. God's love is always there. But His squandering was not blessed. An inheritance gained prematurely will not be blessed ultimately. But not only that, Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, verse 20 and 22. 20 says, A faithful man will have many blessings. But one in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. Verse 22, A greedy man is in a hurry for wealth. He doesn't know that poverty will come to him. Bottom line, he says, we have to guard us. So number three, we open ourselves up to temptations, traps, and toxic desires. We need to guard ourselves. Because it's so easy to get caught up in the trap of wanting more. So the conclusion of this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, back in our text, verses 17 through 19. If we want real life, real joy, look at these verses. The exhortation here is to instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Wealth is uncertain. Have you ever thought about that? Um, how many people do you know maybe you have personally experienced it you've had money wrapped up in the stock market and seemingly overnight it's gone some of you have experienced that that's the uncertainty of wealth you know some people say well I'm putting my money in gold and silver and precious commodities like that and one day the price of gold is up and the next day the price of gold is down the wealth is uncertain. And some people put it in CDs and one year the CD is given 4% and the next year it's given a 0.5%. And the uncertainty of riches is known. There's a bunch of uncertainty with wealth. That's what it says in First Timothy. And this book was written long time ago. Still true. So here's what he said. Instruct them who are Wealthy in this age, rich in this age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of their wealth, but on God. Our focus is not to be on the wealth, it's to be on the God of the wealth. It says, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. You want joy? Keep your focus on God who will provide for you. And then he goes on to say Instruct them to do what is good. So he tells us five things that we're supposed to do if we have wealth in this age. Number one, do what is good. Do what is good. I wonder how many times in this world someone could be helped if someone would do what is good with their wealth rather than selfishly hoarding it. Do what is good. And then it says, be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. Be willing to give it away a little bit. Not frivolously, not not, uh, in in a way that would bring attention to yourself and look what I did and, and have a building named after me or whatever else. But to be willing to be rich in good works. Number three, be generous. It says there in verse 18. So do what is good. Be rich in good works. To be generous, willing to share. Number four, And number five, be storing up a good reserve for the age to come. It says, so that they may take hold of life that is what? Real. I don't know about you, but the result of doing what is good, being rich in good works, being generous, being willing to share, being storing up for a good reserve for the age to come, the result of that is life that is real. That goes so against what's ingrained within our minds. Give it away. Does he understand how hard I work to get this? Does he understand that you know we need to improve certain aspects of our portfolio? Does he get it that you know I may not have a job next year, so I got to keep in mind right now where I'm at? Yeah, he understands all those things and more. And a bunch of stuff you don't. And I don't. Um, I'm amazed at how many times when God understands that we're about to lose a job. And we panic and we freak out. And we wonder what is going to happen. And then amazingly enough, God provides something better. That's kind of funny because I can look out in the congregation and see several of you where this kind of happened. And God has something better planned. And we just can't see it sometimes. God knows what He's doing. No statement, God didn't wake up, scratch His head and say, wow, I didn't realize that was happening to you today. God knows. He knows. And the question is, what He also knows is, He knows where our focus is. And I don't know about you, but that's hard for me. I'm just being honest. I want stuff. I like nice stuff. I like nice shoes. I like Nikes. I harass I, I my son because he likes, likes nice Nikes. And the other day he was uh, he was gone and I needed to run out to the truck and his were sitting there, so I slipped my size 11 and a half into his 14s and I just ran out to the car to grab something. And I looked over at my wife when I came in and said, Those quite possibly might be the most comfortable pair of shoes I've ever put on in my life. (laughs) And all of a sudden I felt myself saying, Man, why does he get a pair of those and I don't? That is wrong. We get around ourselves and there's certain things we just want because they're nicer. And then I feel bad because my my kids, my kids harass me non-stop about this. I'll be in Walmart, I'll pick something up. And I'll think about it, and I'll put it back down, and then I'll pick it back up, and then I'll put it back down, and I'll pick it up, and then I'll decide ultimately that I really do want it. And I'll carry it throughout the store as I'm with my wife or whatever, and it's in the cart, and then I'll decide, nah, no, I better not. So, And I'm not one of those guys that can just take it out and put it on a shelf away from where it came from. So i got to walk back to the other side of the store because of my monkism and put it where I got it from. And then Andrea says, Dad, you drive me insane. Right. Here's the thing. We we struggle with the things that we want in this life. And I wonder if we could learn to be content with what we've got. Rather than a 25,000 car, I don't know what cars cost anymore. $30,000 car or a $10,000 car so that we could do more for the Lord. Or uh, this size house versus this size house so that we could do more for the Lord. So we could be generous. So we could Share with what God has blessed us with? Or is this life really all about just getting what we can do? All about number one? There's something to think about there. He says, with this I'll close. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Those who want to be rich fall into temptations, traps, and many foolish and harmful or toxic desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. In verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. All I know is this self-afflicted pain is not going to bring joy. We have the mindset, if we can just do this, or go here, or have that, it's going to make us happier he says, no, it's self-inflicted pain. We may not see it, but in the end, that's what we'll experience according to Proverbs 20 and 28. The hastiness to get rich will bring destruction and ultimately dissatisfaction. Where's our focus? If we want joy, if we want life, real life, according to 1 Corinthians, Timothy 6.19 Do what is good. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be willing to share. Be storing up a good reserve for the age to come. Why? Because Matthew says, don't collect for things on this earth, but collect for the things in the earth to, or the world to come. And it's all about where our focus is. I know it's a struggle. <laughs> it's going to be even a worse struggle for our kids and the next generation. Time goes on, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. And we have to guard ourselves to make sure our focus is where God would have for it to be. And that goes against everything in our culture. But I think we should be more pleased with pleasing God than pleasing ourselves. That's where the blessing will be. Let's pray.